أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to another episode of our Tafsir page by page and inshallah ta'ala today we are going to cover page 30 of the Quran which is the second juz surah al-Baqarah in the previous episode, we spoke about some of the verses concerning fasting and some of the laws that Allah Azza wa Jal revealed and legislations that Allah Azza wa Jal revealed concerning fasting. And then Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala also mentioned a number of other etiquettes concerning integrity, especially with regards to wealth and some of the verses regarding Hajj. And in today's episode, we will continue with the verses of Hajj, but in between. The verses of Hajj, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions a number of verses from 190 onwards concerning the issue of fighting and jihad. And one, the first of those verses is at the end of page 29. So we actually have one verse left from page 29 and then we'll go on to page number 30. Before we begin, it is important to know a couple of things. Number one is that the Quran is a book of guidance that contains everything for every time and every place. So it's not just a book of stories or for example, a book of rulings or for example, a book that speaks only about issues of belief in Allah Azza wa Jal, His names and attributes and so on. But rather, it is a comprehensive book that mentions everything that humans need in order for their salvation and happiness in this life and the next. And so it is something which the rulers refer to when it comes to issues of leading and ruling. And it's something which parents refer to when it comes to issues of their family and their children. It's something which the believer refers to with regards to the issues of iman and worship and so on and so forth. Every single person that is a Muslim in whichever role that they have and in whichever responsibility that they they have in this world, they will find guidance within the Quran. And so it is important therefore to know that when we come across verses of jihad and so on, that's one of the reasons why. Because there are rulers, Muslim rulers and Muslim leaders who require a level of guidance, divine guidance and instruction from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just as the average Muslim, just as the father, the mother, the son, the businessman, the teacher, the student, everyone needs guidance and instruction from Allah azza wa jal with regards to each one of those roles. It is also therefore important to note that when we speak about these verses of of jihad, for example, of fighting, of killing, and so on, they must be understood within that correct context. And that correct context requires a level of study in the books of fiqh, not only from the Quran, but also from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, because there are many rulings. And one of the dangers of our time that we've seen, one of the problems that we've experienced, is unfortunately Muslim youth and people coming and taking verses from the Quran and isolating them from the rest of the guidance that Islam gives, or taking verses of the Quran and not understanding them within the correct context, and then therefore taking a verse and applying it in a way that is incorrect, that actually goes against the principles of the Quran and the Sunnah. And it is important to understand this, because for example, as we will say when Allah says, for example, in in this verse, kill and fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that commandment to fight isn't just something where you go and start picking up weapons and start fighting without any other type of study or any other type of restrictions or there not being any etiquettes or learning and whatever. 
However, every country, as we know, every system has within it an army, a defense system, a defense law and mechanism in order to protect their interests. The Muslim system has the same, the Islamic system of law. If there was to be a Muslim country, or as we've known throughout previous history, throughout many centuries, there has been the Khilafah system, they always they also likewise have this system of law and defense and soldiers and armies and what have you. And so therefore, this context is extremely important. And I would therefore encourage people to study and learn their religion more. But I also want to mention this as a caveat before someone comes and misunderstands or takes out of context these verses of the Quran or the tafsir that we're doing. We don't have the time because our, as you know, our goal in this tafsir program is within 25, 30 minutes is to tafsir of a page. But if we were to go into the detailed rulings, that's for like a different program which will require a lot more extensive study and time. So with that being said, let us begin inshallah ta'ala with verse number 190. Allah Azza wa Jal says, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajeem wa qatilu fi sabiilillahi alladhina yuqatilunakum wa la ta'atadu inna allaha la yuhibbul mu'atadeen. Allah says subhanahu wa ta'ala and fight in Allah's cause against those who fight you. But do not overstep the limits, for indeed Allah does not love those who overstep the limits. Allah gave to the Muslims at a certain point, and most likely after the Hijrah to Medina, He gave them the command that it is permissible for them to now engage in fighting. Before the Hijrah in the time of Mecca, the Muslims were not allowed to fight. And that's why they often didn't defend themselves. There was no Muslim army, there was no war, there was no... Now that they migrated to Medina, they have their own land, their own state, if you like, they have some power and some, and some, and some uh, authority. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them permission to fight. And this is a beautiful point that I want us to understand. The permission not to fight came from Allah. And the permission to fight for the Muslims in the time of the Prophet wasallam also came from Allah. So therefore, the way and manner of fighting is legislated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So it's not for me and you just to say, Allah said, fight, let's go and fight. No, because Allah could have said that to the Muslims at the time of the Prophet They were facing, facing as much, if not more persecution and oppression than any of us are facing in our time. But there are laws and restrictions in the way that Allah told them to do so. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says immediately after this, number one, he says, fight those who are fighting you. Those people like the Quraysh in the time of the Prophet were actively engaged in trying to kill you and oppress you, fight them back. You cannot defend yourselves. But Allah Azza wa Jal then also says, Wala ta'atadu. But don't overstep the boundaries. Don't go overboard. Meaning don't kill innocent people. Don't kill the women and the children and start destroying things that you don't need. To. And whatever, all of these restrictions that we have within the Sharia. Which is why when we see in our time Muslims, for example, blowing places up, committing acts of extremism and they're killing innocent people. These aren't the laws that Allah Azza wa gave around jihad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, fight, but don't go over the limits. From those limits is you can't just go and kill innocent people. You can't just go and start killing children randomly, for example, or women and so on. People who are not combatants don't fight you. You have no right to go and kill them, especially when you come and you live in their country and they've given you peaceful right to live and exist. From that right that they have upon you, therefore, is that you abide by the laws, that you want good for them, that you're not going to be someone who's going to cause problems in their land and in their countries and so on. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to be careful and aware of this, for indeed Allah does not love those who overstep the limits. Couldn't the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims in early Islam in Mecca when they were being oppressed and so on, couldn't they have gone and just killed people in their sleep? Couldn't they have gone and murdered Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab and all of the Lord's leaders of Quraysh and therefore be done with the whole thing? That's not our religion. It's not our way. 
We don't just go and cause corruption upon the earth and evil. Because the idea is not just to conquer land or, for example, to, to take power or to take wealth. No, the idea for the Muslim is to worship Allah and to call others to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so sometimes, yes, for the Muslim leader, they have the option of being able to fight if they need to be able to employ it. But at the same time, it's also possible that they don't need it and they're not going to go through through with that. And therefore, they have other options available to them as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues, and now we're on the page, uh, at the beginning of page number 13, verse 191. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاقْتُلُوهُمْ حَيْثُ ثَقِفْتُمُوهُمْ وَأَخْرِجُوهُمْ مِنْ حَيْثُ أَخْرَجُوكُمْ وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ Kill them wherever you encounter them and drive them out from where they drove you out. For indeed, persecution is more serious than killing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you may fight them wherever you find them. Because that is what the Quraysh would do when they would come upon the Muslims, they would kill them wherever they would find them. And you may expel them from their lands just as they expelled you from your homes. Meaning, when they expelled you from Mecca and you had to migrate to Medina, then likewise you can expel them as well. And if they turn around and they say, what, what is this? You Muslims are killing, you're causing bloodshed and spilling blood and so on. Say to them that persecution, living in terror, causing people to flee for the safety of their lives only because they want to worship Allah, that is worse than the act of killing. Meaning what you did over this period of time is far more grave than us trying to defend ourselves and stand up for our rights. وَلَا تُقَاتِلُوهُمْ عِنْدَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ حَتَّى يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ فِيهِ Allah says, but do not fight by the sacred mosque, meaning the haram, in Mecca, the sanctuary of Mecca, unless they fight you there. So if they don't fight you there, don't fight them there, because as we know from the things that Allah has made special concerning the city of Mecca, is that it is a haram, a sanctuary. And within that sanctuary, there is to be no fighting or killing. There is to be no uprooting of trees and so on. There are certain rules that dedicate or, or dictate uh, are dictated when it comes to the sanctuary of Mecca. That is from the honor that Allah has given to that sacred city of Mecca al Mukarramah. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't fight there. However, if they're the ones who begin, if they're the ones who fight you, then you can defend yourselves. Meaning don't be, the Muslim is not the one who says, oh, I can't fight now, so I just have to stand and, and not defend myself and just be killed and be persecuted. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't do so, don't engage, don't start, don't be the one to antagonize. But at the same time, if they come to you and fight you there, then you're allowed to respond as well. As Allah Azza then continues and says, فَإِن قَاتَلُوكُمْ فَقَتُلُوهُمْ But if they fight you, then you may fight them. This is what such disbelievers deserve. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore gave the believers the permission to fight. And as we know, the Prophet would come and he would conquer the city of Mecca, even though there was hardly any killing. There was very minimal fighting during the conquest of Mecca. But the Prophet still entered with weapons and with swords drawn and so on. And so Allah made that permissible for him for a very short period of time. But generally speaking, Mecca is a sanctuary. And it is a place that its sanctity should be respected, especially by the believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah in these verses is telling the Muslims at the time of the Prophet first and foremost, that now the restriction that was placed upon you, that you don't fight, that you don't defend yourselves, it has now been lifted. And that is why the Muslims engaged in the Battle of Badr in the Battle of Uhud, in the Battle of the Khandaq, in the Battle, as we know, of the conquest of Mecca and Tabuk, and the other battles that they then engaged in, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made that something which was permissible for them. 
Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse 192 says, But if they stop, meaning they don't fight you, they want peace, then Allah is most forgiving, most merciful. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla tells us that it's also something which is regarded to be good. It is something to be encouraged when there is peace. And that is why the Prophet signed the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Even though there was fighting before then, as we know, a number of battles take place. But when the Prophet is given the options of a treaty, even though its terms are not necessarily favorable to the Muslims, the Prophet took that opportunity. Because in peace, da'wah can thrive. When you have peace and security, as many of us have and are fortunate to have in the lands that we live in, for example, in the West, we can use that opportunity to establish our messages, to call people to Allah, to teach our community, to teach our youth. But if you live in a land when you're afraid for your life and the life of your family, you're afraid for your well-being, you're afraid for your safety, you're afraid of being persecuted for your beliefs and your worship, then you can't spread the religion of Allah because you're so busy, worried about your, worried for your own safety and your own life, which is only natural. And so Allah Azza wa Jal is telling us that if they stop, then Allah is ghafoor and ar-Rahim. In verse 193, Allah Azza wa Jal then Allah says, and fight them until there is no more persecution. And worship is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if they cease hostilities, then there can be no hostility towards them except against the transgressors. Allah says, continue to fight. Meaning that you can go and expand your lands as Muslims, which is why the Prophet ﷺ, as we know, he conquered all of Arabia in his lifetime. And after his death, the Khulafa would continue in the times of Abu Bakr and Umar, Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhum, as well as the subsequent Muslim rulers who came after them. They continued to expand the Muslim lands. But if there is no hostilities, don't be the ones who are transgressors. The Muslims in every single time and place should not be the people of transgression, meaning the people to oppress others to terrorize others, to go over the limits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set towards others. And so there is a difference between doing something in its way that is legislated within the sharia of Allah azza wa jal and the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just as in our time, every law, every country has its law and you have international law and you have all of these uh, conventions that are in place to ensure that certain things are not done and certain people are not harmed and not placed in the way of harm. Then likewise in Islam, we have our laws. But at the same time, Allah says that if someone transgresses, then that transgression should be stopped. For indeed, Allah says that there can be no hostility except towards transgressors. In verse number 194, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues with the same theme of fighting and jihad. And he says, A sacred month for a sacred month. The violation of sanctity calls for fair retribution. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that the sacred month is in place of the sacred month. What does this mean? The scholars of Tafsir differ slightly over the meaning of this verse and what it's referring to exactly. Some of them said that it's referring to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. The Prophet wasallam went to perform Umrah in the month of Dhul Qa'dah, which is the month before Dhul Hijjah, the 11th month of the lunar Islamic calendar. And as we know, he was prevented from doing so. 
and they signed a treaty. He was prevented from making Umrah with the companions, and instead they signed the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. From the terms of the treaty is that you would return, meaning the Muslims, they would return to Medina without having performed Umrah, and then the following year, one year's time, they can come back and the Quraysh would give them permission to perform Umrah. That is known in our history as Umratul Qada. The Umrah that was made up because they missed the Umrah the first time around, they came up and they made it up the second year around. And that is what Allah Azza said, Al Haram bi Shahul Haram. One sacred month when you wanted to perform Umrah is being replaced by another one, meaning there's no harm upon you in doing so. The other tafsir of, that some of the scholars mention is that it's referring to the fighting that takes place in the sacred month, meaning that if you fight in the sacred month against the Muslims, the Muslims are allowed to respond. So yes, it is sacred, but the Arabs also considered it to be sacred. Before Islam, the Quraysh and others considered the sacred months to be sacred as well. So if you're willing to fight in the sacred months and break its sanctity, they don't expect the Muslims to just sit there and take your attack without defending themselves. And Allah knows best, but both of those are the fasir that you will find concerning this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالْحُرُومَاتُ قِصَاصِ The violation of sanctity calls for fair retribution. Meaning that if you're going to violate the sanctity of Allah in the holy land of Mecca, in the holy months that Allah has legislated, then that requires fair retribution and that the Muslims are able to therefore go and to fight as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says again, and you will see one of the common things with all of these verses that we've mentioned today, is that Allah says, you can fight, O Muslims. You can defend yourselves, O Muslims. You can ward off the transgression of the transgressors, O Muslims. But however, never overstep the limits. And once again, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the same thing here. Allah says, if anyone commits aggression against you, attack him as he attacked you. But be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and know that Allah is with those who are mindful of him. So if someone attacks you, then you may attack them in a similar way. Someone harms you, then show them retribution in a similar way. But don't do what? I'tida. Don't transgress. So for example, it is very easy in times of war. And even in our time, we still see this today, despite the conventions and the international law, that a person transgresses in times of conflict and in war. So for example, an example that we have in the Sunnah is we know in the treat in the time of the Battle of Uhud, when the Quraysh came and they martyred a number of the Muslims, over 70 of them were martyred. Some of those that were killed or a number of them were then mutilated by the people of Quraysh. They were dead, they had been martyred, and they mutilated their bodies. And obviously the, the perhaps the, the best or the well, most well-known example of this is the example of the uncle of the Prophet wasallam, Hamza radiallahu anhu where his body was opened and his liver was taken out and chewed and spat out. So they mutilated the bodies of the Muslims. And so some of the Muslims, when they came to bury their dead, when they saw this in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they said, as, as will be mentioned in a later verse, as we will come on to inshallah ta'ala in the Quran at one point, but they said, some of them, that if we ever win in another battle, meaning we're the ones to defeat them, we will do worse to them than what they did to us. What they did to our people, we will do worse to their people. And so Allah revealed a number of verses in the Qur'an and a general principle. And that is that the Muslim is never one to take issues beyond the limits that Allah has set. And so mutilation is not allowed. Even if they mutilate our dead, we don't mutilate theirs. And that is why Allah is saying that if someone transgresses against you in attack, then you may show retribution in a just way, in a fair way. You can attack them back in the way that they attacked you and so on. However, 
you should never go beyond the limits that Allah Azza wa has set, but rather you should be people who are always mindful of Allah, fearing Allah Azza wa and know that Allah is with those who fear Him. Allah is with those who are constantly mindful of Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jal then in verse 195 he says, Allah Azza wa Jal says, And spend in Allah's cause, do not contribute to your destruction with your own hands, but do good, for indeed Allah loves those who do good. Allah Azza wa Jal encourages the believers to spend in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is from the greatest types of sadaqah and spending that Allah is that a person can give in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he helps to spread the religion of Allah Azza wa Jal through knowledge, through teaching, through the building of masajid, through education programs and so on and so forth. Spend in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and don't cause your own destruction by your own hands. Individually, by taking your own life or by doing things that will cause you to ultimately lead to your own destruction, meaning that your demise in this world, that you cause yourself to die, or for example, a type of suicide or something like this, nor the general destruction of your ummah by not spending, by not teaching, by not doing that which you need in order for the ummah to continue to thrive as well. وَحْسِنُوا And rather do good, for indeed Allah Azza wa loves those who do good. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore commands us to do that which is good. And ihsan is to always do the best of your ability. To always be the best that you can be. As the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salatu wa sallam when he asked Jibreel asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to define ihsan he said an ta'bud allaha ka'annaka tara fa'illam takun tarahu fa'innahu yaraq It is to worship Allah as though you see him. And even though you do not see him they know that Allah azza wa jal sees you. To constantly be mindful of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And we see therefore in this verse and the previous verse. In the previous one Allah says, have taqwa, be mindful of Allah. And here Allah says do good. Allah is with those who have taqwa. Allah loves the people who do good. And so the person who's constantly aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it comes to their life, their wealth, their time, their effort, their family, everything, they're mindful of Allah Azza wa Jalla and therefore mindful of what is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they will do ihsan. They will use those blessings of Allah Azza wa Jal, those skills that Allah Azza wa Jal has endowed them with, and they will use them in a way that is beneficial and good for themselves and for their communities at large. And this isn't just about fighting, for example, or about defending yourself. It is in every single sphere. We are people as Muslims who benefit those around us. And our aim of benefiting them is not to cause harm, but to cause good. So when you can call people to Allah, in a way that is constructive, in a way that is beneficial for the community at large, that is good. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ, for the first 13 years in Mecca, it was all da'wah, calling people to Allah, calling people to Allah Azza wa and so on. And it was only in the Medinan period when the Quraysh set out to actively destroy all of the Muslims and kill all of them and destroy the city of Medina, that now the Muslims had to defend themselves. But the first option is always to spread the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in whichever way it is possible to do so uh, and it is constructive to do so. The final verse on page number 30, verse 196, Allah says, going back now to the topic of Hajj that we touched upon briefly, uh, briefly in the previous episode. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الْحَجَّ وَالْعُمْرَةَ لِلَّهِ Complete the pilgrimages, major and minor for the sake of Allah. The minor pilgrimage being Umrah, the major pilgrimage being Hajj. From the benefits, therefore, that we take from the beginning of this verse is number one, that Hajj and Umrah is an obligation. 
And this is one of the verses that shows that Umrah is obligatory once in a lifetime, just as Hajj is. So normally we say from the pillars of, of Islam is Hajj. And we say that because Hajj is the major pilgrimage. And so therefore, any minor pilgrimage comes under the major one anyway. And so this is something which is important. Number two, that you must complete the Hajj and the Umrah, meaning with all of its conditions, all of its uh, pillars, all of its obligatory parts. So the Hajj, as we know, consists of a number of rites. And the Umrah likewise, the Tawaf and the Sa'i and going to Araf and Muzdalifah and Mina, all of these rites, either in the Umrah or in the Hajj, must be completed because Allah Azawajal says, and complete the rites of your pilgrimages of Hajj and Umrah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azawajal tells us therefore from this verse and from the benefits that we take, is that once you have begun the act of pilgrimage, whether Umrah or Hajj, you must see it through to the end. You can't just break it off. You can't just stop and go back without doing anything. So for example, if you were to fast the month of Ramadan and you were to begin a day of fasting and then you can't fast, you can stop that fast. If you pray and you find that you can no longer stand, you can sit down and pray. But when Hajj, you must complete the rites of Hajj. Allah says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, complete the pilgrimages, major and minor for the sake of Allah. However, if you're unable to do so, فَإِنْ أُحْسِرْتُمْ فَمَسْتَيْسَرَ مِنَ الْهَدِي If you're prevented from doing so, then send whatever offering you can in terms of a sacrifice that you can afford. If you're unable to do so, meaning that you have been prevented from doing so. So even the one who's sick in Hajj must still complete their rights. Whether they go on a wheelchair, whether they're carried, whatever, they still complete their rights of Hajj once they've made the intention to do so and they've begun the process. Ihsar is you're unable to do so, you're prevented from even arriving to that position. So for example, because of some sickness, you're prevented. Because of some uh, enemy, you're prevented. So someone who is in that condition where they're physically unable to continue, either because of an enemy that's preventing them from reaching the haram, or because of a sickness, for example, that debilitates you, and you're unable to physically carry, for example, someone's just completely unconscious, they've completely fainted, they're in a coma, something happens like that, those people are the ones who have been prevented. What do they do in order to come out of the haram, therefore, is they give a sacrifice and they can come out of the state of ihram. This is exactly what the companions did with the Prophet ﷺ at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. What did they do when they couldn't go and continue with their Umrah? The Prophet ﷺ told them to give their sacrifice, slaughter their animals, and to shave their heads. And once they have done so, they can return. And that is why Allah then continues and says, وَلَا تَحْلِقُوا رُؤُوسَكُمْ حَتَّى يَبْلُغَ الْهَدْيُ Allah says, and do not shave your heads until the offering has reached the place of sacrifice. The place of sacrifice being the day of An-Nahar, which is the day of the, uh, you know, in Hajj, it would be the day of the 10th of the Hijjah. And so generally speaking, it is the Sunnah, as we know that the Prophet ﷺ would sacrifice first and then he would shave his head. And that is why it is better to do so if you can do so. However, to do it the other way around, it's also permissible for the people performing Hajj to shave their head and then to offer the sacrifice is permissible as well. Because in a number of hadith, as you know, in Sahih al-Bukhari, for example, the Prophet ﷺ allowed for people to change the order of the rites of the day of the 10th. But generally speaking, for the people who are making who are in the position of Ihsar, they're prevented from going and performing their Hajj and Umrah for a valid reason, and it is beyond their capability to do anything about it. Then they give off, they slaughter their animal that they have, they give a sacrifice, and they shave their heads, and then they are allowed to come out of the state of Ihram for uh, that particular rite or for that particular pilgrimage that they had intended to do. 
Allah Azza wa Jalla continues and he says, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ بِهِ أَذًا مِنْ رَأْسِهِ فَفِدِيَةٌ مِنْ صِيَامٍ أَوْ صَدَقَةٍ أَوْ نُسَكٍ Allah Azza wa Jalla says, however, if any of you is ill, and this is the normal type of illness, not the one that prevents you from continuing with your hajj, but someone becomes sick for one reason or another, or has an ailment of the scalp, he should compensate by fasting or feeding the poor or offering sacrifice. We know that in the state of hajj, you enter into the ihram state. And in the ihram state, there are a number of restrictions. Sometimes you're unable to fulfill those restrictions. For example, one of the restrictions is that you can't wear items of clothing for men, normal items of clothing. However, someone may have an illness that means that they have to wear certain padding or certain types of things that requires them to wear their normal types of their normal type of, of clothing. They have to wear it. They don't have a choice. That person is now sick. They have a physical or medical reason for wearing that type of, 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 uh, that type of clothing. Someone may have an ailment of the head whereby they have to shave off their head because one of the restrictions of ihram is that you can't remove hair, you can't remove your nails and so on. But someone may have, for example, in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, one of the companions was overcome with lice. And he was saying that there were so many in his head that it was as if they were falling. They were literally falling off his head. The Prophet ﷺ, when he saw the level of lice in his head, he said to him, why don't you go and shave your head? These are people with valid excuses. They break the restrictions of ihram. But they must give an expiation. What is the expiation? The expiation is that they have a choice of number one, either fasting, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, or number two, that they give some sadaqah, they give charity, meaning that they feed a poor person, or number three, that they sacrifice a sheep. These are the three things that Allah Azza wa has allowed them to do, meaning He has given them the option to do. Number one is that they go and they fast, as we said. Number two is that they give a sacrifice. Number three is that they go and feed a poor person or some poor people for those days that they have missed or for those uh, they fast three days or they feed six poor people or they offer a sacrifice those are the three things that Allah gives them an option to do so someone for example has to shave their head someone for example has to wear normal items of clothing someone has to break one of the restrictions of ihram they have a choice of expiation feed six poor people fast three days or give a sacrifice meaning slaughter an animal in its place Allah then continues فَإِذَا أَمِنْتُمْ فَمَنْ تَمَتَّعَ بِالْعُمْرَةِ إِلَى الْحَجِّ فَمَسْتَيْسَرَ مِنَ الْهَدِي But if you're in safety, anyone who wishes to take a break between the minor and major pilgrimage must give a sacrifice. The types of hajj are three. Two of them is when you perform both hajj and umrah. Performing those hajj and umrah together means that you have performed two acts of worship in one. Meaning in one trip, you're going to do the hajj and you're going to do the umrah. And as a result, you must give a sacrifice that is from the rights of Hajj that Allah has placed upon you. فَمَن لَمْ يَجِدْ فَصِيَامُ ثَلَاثَةِ أَيَّامٍ فِي الْحَجِّ وَسَبَعَةٍ إِذَا رَجَعْتُمْ تِلْكَ عَشَرَةٌ كَامِلَةٌ But what if you can't afford a sacrifice? You're making tamattu of Hajj, so you made haram for Umrah, then you came out of haram, you want to make Hajj again with a different haram, that's called tamattu. But you can't afford the sacrifice. It's just you can't do it. You don't have the money. Allah Azza wa says, then for you the expiation is that you fast three days during the hajj season and seven days after the hajj and thus making ten days in full. You fast ten days. However, the manner of fasting is three must be in the days of hajj. So for example, the sixth, seventh and eighth or seventh, eighth and ninth. And then, or for example, the 11th, 12th and 13th after the day of Eid. These are the days of hajj. You must fast within them. Three days. 
And then the seven days, once you have left Mecca and you're returning home, either on the journey or once you have returned, 10 days in total. Allah says this applies to those whose households is not near Al Masjidul Haram. Meaning, because the ones who live in the Haram don't need to travel, meaning they're not going home and they're not going back to. Uh, their places, and so therefore there is no sacrifice that is due upon them. But rather be mindful of Allah and aware that Allah is stand in His retribution, meaning that you should fulfill the rights of Allah and the laws of Allah and the etiquette that Allah has placed upon you in these acts of pilgrimage in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained to break those rules knowingly, on purpose, Having a disregard for Allah's laws is something which Allah Azza wa Jal says opens up the option or opens up the possibility of being punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And with that, we come to the end of page 30. And inshallah ta'ala, in the next episode, we will continue with some of these verses of Hajj. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahir Rahmanir Raheem.